0: You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family.
1: this is Ashley Winch. You probably know me by now. I'm the podcast operations coordinator here at Horse Radio Network. This week, we're going to continue to spend time with our friends over at Dressage Today. In this episode, Aviva answers an Ask the L question about what to do when a mistake happens during a dressage test. Stephanie interviews Karen Rolf of Dressage Naturally, brought to you by our friends at Kentucky Performance Products and the United States Dressage Federation.
0: This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com.
1: The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products managing horses can be challenging each horse's personality affects the way he behaves and reacts to the world around him horses with certain dispositions can be at higher risk for developing health problems than others high-strung or excitable horses are easily stressed but so is the timid quiet warrior stressed horses are more likely to develop digestive upsets that lead to colic diarrhea and ulcers Nalox advanced was specifically developed to support a digestive tract that is under stress it sustains proper pH levels, reducing the incidence of ulcers and hindgut imbalances, while simultaneously supporting the healing of damaged tissues. Nalox Advanced supports the complete digestion of starches and sugars and sustains populations of beneficial bacteria. Make life a little easier on your sensitive horse and start him on Nalox Advanced today. To learn more about the ingredients in Nalox Advanced, visit Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. Founded in 1973, the United States Dressage Federation has become
0: the largest organization to represent a single Olympic equestrian discipline. At nearly 30,000 members strong, USDF is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org to learn more about USDF education, competition and award programs, and to shop our online store. Again, that's usdf.org, your online destination for dressage. Hello, I'm Stephanie Ruff. And I'm Aviva Nabeski. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage related. Our conversations span the world of dressage from leading riders to local level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, showing tips, and sharing stories to inspire your own dressage journey. So tune in, then tack up. Welcome to another edition of the Dressage Today podcast, sponsored by Purina Animal Nutrition. Today, I will be talking to Karen Rolfe of Dressage Naturally. But first, Aviva isn't recording with me today because she is currently in Israel competing at the Maccabi Games. Unfortunately, she contracted COVID a few days after arriving, so she had to quarantine for a week. But luckily, she did get out of quarantine soon enough to be able to ride her leased horse named Dan Dan before the competition. She only had four total rides on him, but yesterday and today, she rode down centerline representing the United States. She and her other teammates managed to finish second in the team competition, and we could not be more proud of them. Attention horse owners. Are you looking to help your horse recover with ease after a strenuous workout? Would you like to nourish your horse and their digestive system? If so, try the new Purina Replenimash product. It's much more than a mash. Replenimash promotes hydration, replenishes electrolytes, and supports gastric comfort. Put Purina's research to the test. Stop into your local Purina retailer and grab a bag of Purina Replenimash product. This month's Ask the L question comes from Marilyn. What do we do when something goes wrong in a test? And her example is, say we break to a trot on the last quarter of a circle at E, when the downward transition is expected between E and K. Do we ask for canter again and try to get the transition in the appropriate place? Or do we just take the early transition? And then a second part to that is when is it considered an error versus just an
2: early movement? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, I think that I'm going to use Marilyn's example because I think that that's a really good one. Um, What I see a lot is people pick up the wrong lead. Um, And they don't Mm -hmm. fix it. And I say to them, you know, at the end of the test, I say, do you realize you were on the wrong lead? And they say, yes. And I said, in the future, fix it. Because, you know, you've already screwed up the movement. (laughs) Show me that, you know, right. um, You know, and, and then you'll get a better score because then you're showing that you do know, and then you have a better chance of getting a decent downward transition plus technically if you don't show both leads it has to be reflected in the gate score so i see that a lot and that's my answer for that for marilyn's example depending on where you break yes try to get your canter back Um, most judges will not give you an error what they will do is they will give, you know, it's sort of the judge's discretion. Um, what most judges will do is give you a score for the circle and then say breaks and give you a terrible score for breaking. Um, and depending on who your judge is, it could be anywhere from a two to a four. Um, so if you can pick up the canner, and understand that it's probably going to be a little bit hectic um, and you're not going to be really balanced into the downward, but you make the effort. The judge is probably rather than giving you a two, will give you a three. Rather than giving you a four, will give you a five because you've made that effort um, to show that you know that something went wrong and you're trying to fix it. Right. Um, then there's something called Ringcraft. And, and that is when something happens in the test, um, for instance, you're riding training level test three, and your canter trot transition is supposed to be at A, and your horse breaks 10 strides before A, certainly don't pick up your canter again, because you you're not going to get it. You're going to be all disorganized. And now you're supposed to be walking before K. So you're going to screw up that transition as well. So that's when you ride that transition as if you asked for it. (laughs) (laughs) And you smile and you pretend that you asked for this transition and it just came early. Um, Judges usually can tell that the horse lost their balance. But, you know, try to fake it. Um, what I tell my riders is, you know, that's a really tough transition that, that canter trot transition at a, and, you know, you've just come around a corner and now you're trying to rebalance your horse in the canter, go straight, sit, and now do a downward transition. And at training level, a lot of people don't have really great canter trot transitions anyway. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So If you know that that transition at A is going to be bad because you're not going to be able to balance your horse, then use your corner, get balance, ask for that transition early and take the hit as balanced transition, but early. And trust me, the judge knows what you did (laughs) Um, and you're, and yes, you're cheating, but you know, balanced transition Um, But early and take the five or the five point five or maybe even the six rather than careening around the corner and then slamming into the front end and doing a terrible transition at A, which then translates into a pretty bad transition to the walk before K, which then translates into not the greatest medium walk. Right. So, you know, some of it is knowing your own horse and knowing where the difficulties in the test are going to be um, and trying to work around that. Um, you know, they, we're judges ride and we know the tricks. We, we know that in first level test three, where that leg yield comes from off the rail, that people don't start. At V that they start before V because it's going to take them a while to make it to the center line. You know, we see that we know what you're doing, (laughs) but you're going to ride a more fluid leg yield. So there are certain things, you know, obviously, we all school to be the best that we can be and to do what the expectations of the tests are. And obviously, the reason that these particular things are difficult, the test writers aren't stupid either. They're trying to challenge us to see, you know, just how on the aids is your horse? Just how straight is your horse? Just how balanced is your horse? We're going to, you know, put these challenges into the test and see how you meet them. Um so certainly school to do everything exactly the way the test is written, Written, um, but ride in a way that is going to best help your horse perform well and ride in a way that you're setting yourself up for success from one movement to the next. So I don't know if that's exactly what you want to know, Marilyn, but that's my answer.
0: I think that's a good answer. And hopefully that will help Marilyn and anyone else. But hopefully we don't have these situations happen often. You know, hopefully people can uh, get through their tests without. Too many mistakes.
2: <laughs> yes. <hopefully>. <laughs> <laughs> but if that happens, then you just you just keep on riding. You Absolutely. And that's the other thing. And and that's actually a really good point, Stephanie. I mean, the thing is, if you screw up a movement, forget about it and just keep riding. Don't let it affect the next few movements, um, because then you're looking at a score in the 40s. And, you know, you can come back from a from a score of four if you get a score of eight on something else. Right. Um, So you made the mistake know where the scores are in your test. I think that's something that a lot of people don't know. It was certainly not something that I knew before I started judging. I, I learned patterns, you know, I'm going to go down center line and then I'm going to track left and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do that. But I didn't know the movements and where the scores came. So if, for instance, um, you're writing a first level test and I, bl- I believe and, I judge a lot of tests, so forgive me if I screw up. I believe in first-level test two, there is a score for the canner lengthening, and there is also a score for the transition back to working canner. In first-level test three, the lengthening and the comeback are the same score. So you need to know, if you're riding first-level test two, that your canner lengthening needs to be bold enough that the judge sees that you're actually lengthening, but it can't be so bold that you can't come back, right? Because that's a different score, right? So being aware of where the scores are is also gonna be very helpful. Um, If you move up the levels, you know, you will see there are some movements where, you know, the half pass into the flying change is all one movement. So, you know, okay, you, you screwed up your half pass a little bit, but now you have a chance to redeem yourself by riding an expressive change. Or you rode a beautiful half pass, but then you didn't get your horse balanced enough and the change wasn't very good. Yeah. You know, those two movements are all part of a single score. Right. So they can balance one another out. And knowing that can help you also be a little bit um, more on top of how to plan to ride to get the highest scores that you possibly can. And that's, yeah. and that's RingCraft. And yeah. that's something that you learn with time. Yeah, no, that's a really good point too. So Marilyn, I hope
0: this helps you. And if anybody else has any questions uh, for Aviva, please feel free to reach out to us on social media. Based in Ocala, Florida, Karen Rolf author and creator of dressage naturally is an internationally popular clinician who teaches students of all disciplines and levels from around the world in her clinics and virtual programs she is well known for training horses with a priority on partnership a student empowering approach to teaching and a positive and balanced point of view she believes in getting to the heart of our mental emotional and physical partnership with our horses by bringing together the best of the worlds of dressage and partnership-based training. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to talk with us
3: today. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. Yeah.
0: Well, to start with, we always like to get a little background info on our guests. And so could you tell me how you got started with horses in general and then dressage more
3: specifically? Sure. I, I, um, horses, I can't remember the origin story because (laughs) the joke is that my first words were, I want a horse, (laughs) you know, then came (laughs) mom and dad. So it just was, I think probably a lot of listeners can relate to this. I just always was fascinated with horses, but my mom had a horse when she was a kid. So she was pretty open. And, um, and actually she had a horse for a little while when I was around seven or so. So just, you know, that horse and horse camp and, you know, and then they finally submitted. And when I was 12, I got my own horse and I really did a, a pony club. So we kept them at a place, you know, we rented some property that was kind of down there by myself a lot with my best friend who got a horse and uh, and did pony club, which was great and went all through the levels of pony club. But um, the, re- the way I got into dressage was, uh, our pony club went and did a a junior hunt. This is out on Long Island, and uh, so we did the junior hunt, <laughs> and it was a a drag. Uh, it was a actually it was a real fox hunt for most of it, and then at the end it was a drag. And my little horse had trouble. He was really good in the woods and stuff, but on the drag part, he really had trouble like controlling himself. <laughs> so I can remember you know, I'm like holding them, I'm holding them and holding them like, all right, that's it. I'm like ragdolling on this horse. And um, he just took off. And, <laughs> I, you know, I knew all the rules. But I can remember like looking, I'm staring at the ground as I'm being taken off with and I'm like, oh, I'm passing all the people in the red coats. And then, <laughs> like, oh, look at that. I'm cutting through the hounds. <laughs> I'm like, This is bad yeah and right so the huntsman had to like come galloping after me on his off the track four-year-old off the track thoroughbred oh gosh and rescued me and then he led me up to my mom and said take this kid for some dressage lessons so she can learn how to control her horse <laughs> and my mom did so that's how I started taking dressage lessons but the um the kind of cool part was the, the only place near us that taught dressage was a place called Knoll Farm, who happened to be owned by Ann Gribbins. Mm. So I didn't take with her at first, but I landed there at Knoll Farm. And right. eventually, um, another horse later, um, she ended up taking me over. <laughs> and uh, the rest is history. So yeah. I, just, I just got really lucky. that's where I ended up
0: (laughs) and it all started because your horse ran away from you yes (laughs) my little
3: horse took off and broke all the rules (laughs) there you go (laughs) my my dressage career began with humiliation (laughs) (laughs) well you know there's there's nowhere to go but
0: up at that point exactly exactly (laughs) <laughs> so you mentioned Anne, but um, so obviously she was I'm sure she was an influence in your riding career. but um who who, besides her, um have been sort of your mentors or the people that have influenced your life with horses?
3: yeah. well, Anne, I mean, I was quite lucky with Anne. and she, um once I was in her program, I mean, she was I was pretty much exclusive with her um for a couple decades. <laughs> and I mean, she really, I mean, as a junior rider, so I just did what she told me to do. Right. So right. She, and so the beauty of that is I really got to immerse in her system and go up and, you know, eventually I um, trained alongside of her and she invited me to work, you know, at her at Knoll Farm also and have my own training horses. Um, <laughs> that actually began, um, I was sort of working freelance and then it, uh, there was a horse that kept um, bucking. Everybody off, like all the instructors, and she ran out of people. And she's like, "Here, oh, you know, like come work Karen give this one a try." And um, I ended up getting along with them. Um, so, so for a couple decades, it was really in. But I mean, her experience is so deep with the teaching right. and the training and the judging, you know, and the breeding. So yeah. I was, you know, quite content. And it, and the beauty of that, like I said, was like to learn the depth of a system. Yeah, but then I, I eventually did um, run off and join the circus, as many people called it, when I um, met the Pirellis and started to get into the natural horsemanship. And I then I ran off and spent a couple years with them, uh, and then everything got sh- shaken up from there. <laughs> and and then I started really looking at more, you know, different. Di- who's who's different? You know, who's not doing just normal dressage? Yeah. Um, so I ended up. um Really being attracted to Philip Carl mm-hmm. and you know, his that style of dressage, which was sort of a different approach, but to yeah. the same the same end. And then um, you know Frederick Pignon, you know what he's doing with so much liberty and bridal mm-hmm. dressage. So I think you know though that just sort of gave me a lot of different influences. And and in the end, it was really about creating my own vision for how right. I wanted my relationships to be knowing there's no right way. So then just sort of taking pieces. Sure. What can I learn from this sea lion trainer? What can <laughs> I learn from this liberty trainer? What can I, you know, and just knowing what I want, the pieces that I want. So yeah, it, it's rather eclectic. It's, <laughs> started it started very, very, um, you know, con- consistent with just that one influence. And now it's become <laughs> quite <eclectic>. a <laughs> But it all comes together for the same purpose.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
3: What is it that you love about dressage? I think it's the the dance of it. Um, that feeling of, you know, when you connect with that circuit of energy in the way that is so special with dressage, it's like that it feels like my body disappears and I get to feel as powerful as a horse. and yeah. And just a really amazing way that's, I think, different than in other sports or things to do with horses. Um, And I love that I can help horses feel more relaxed and energized and balanced under a rider. And then they end up feeling really proud and powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, So then what do you find challenging
0: about dressage?
3: (laughs) It it, it can be challenging. Uh, I think... You know, when you think of dressage as a sport, I think that's one of the problems. It's it's really, to me, it's an art and it's subjective and it's very personal in a way. So I think that's, that's one of the challenges with it. And um, because of that, like training wise to the horse, dressage is pretty purposeless. Um, when you compare it to say like jumping or cutting. Right, right. I see that cow and that's not getting past here. You know, I see the jump and I'm going to go make it over. You know, I don't think any horse wakes up going, I'm today I'm (laughs) really going to work on more bend in that half pass. (laughs) So I think the challenge is to train in a way that proves to the horse that he can feel better when moving in a balanced way and in a healthy posture and that's what I really strive to do and how do you find exercises where the horse can really feel like they're like I get it I get it and they can end up being you know being responsible for something so it's not all just control 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 right <laughs> and so that that's a that's the training challenge um, and, and I think it's easy it's in dressage, it's really easy to sort of miss the forest for the trees and, and <laughs> get focused on the like, I gotta get the movement done. Right. And, instead of focusing on the process because dressage really is a verb. You know, it means training. Yeah. And and it's really about how you're doing things. How you get there is the most important thing, not the the you know, I knocked out that half bass. I got that to get to the letter. It's how you're doing it. and And I think, you know, referring back to what the rule book says that the object of dressage is is really a great guide to kind of when you're feeling like you're in a challenge, like go let you know, read that object of dressage again and remember what it's all about, yeah. Well that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like it's it's about the development of the horse into a happy athlete through harmonious education. Right. <laughs> right. And you're trying to get horses calm, loose, supple, and flexible. And also <laughs> confident, attentive, and keen. <laughs> so, you know, when when things get challenging, I just go back to that. I'm like, all right, is this am I harmoniously educating my horse? Am I building confidence, attentiveness, and keenness as my horse calm, loose, supple, and flexible? And then if they, if I am, I'm like, okay, good. Now I'll see what I can accomplish, you know, while keeping that. But I think where things go wrong is if you're like, got those, that flying change done, but your horse is like, you know, the opposite of all those of all, the, of, all <laughs> yeah, of what like, you said. Yeah. Then you're not. That's when it becomes challenging when you when you forget what dressage is really supposed to be about. Yeah. And so you mentioned. You know, your your
0: current training method is, as you said, kind of a combination of traditional what we call traditional dressage mm-hmm. and um, the natural horsemanship sort of ideas from uh, Pat Pirelli and stuff. So what made you want to kind of go down that different path um, to investigate new or, and bring in new and different ideas mm-hmm.
3: to your own program? Yeah, it it was an accident. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people get into natural horsemanship or whatever you want to call it. Right, training. Yeah. You know, that's a, a a word that means a lot of different things to different people. But yeah, for me, I had a a Grand Prix horse who was nearing retirement, and I just wanted like some cute, funny things to do with them. Uh, but what surprised me is when I started learning, you know, some of these things through um, Pirelli. What they offered, I'm like, hey, there's some other things that are changing here. Like his dressage is improving. Like how is that happening? So it really <laughs> got my attention, and I didn't mean for that to happen. Uh-huh. But when I saw such a dramatic change, I went, okay, a little information is more dangerous than none. So I better go <laughs> learn more. And and it just it just caught my attention. And so once I started doing things like riding my horse bridleless and playing with horses at liberty. And I started to observe how my horse's posture and biomechanics were improving. Be when I improved things like trust and understanding, and I could see how much they were offering with zero aids. Like I'm not touching them. Yeah. And I went, oh, so why am I using all my aids, all these aids, when I'm on them? If I can like <laughs> just teach them some things, and my horse is like collected cantering around me at Liberty in this like a canter pirouette canter and I'm like oh so (laughs) so that realization made me go okay I need to know what's going on here because this is just more information so I think about mental emotional physical I had a lot of information from the dressage world about physical and now I was learning much more about the mental emotional part of the horse and I thought well this is a no-brainer I gotta like combine this knowledge So I have more mental, emotional, physical. So then, you know, I'm sitting there as a professional dressage trainer going, oh, no, like everything has changed. How am I (laughs) going to, what do I do? Like, how do I train this? Because I just went off and immersed and did did almost no like dressage. So I just immersed in the other stuff. So I created the dressage naturally, like for myself, you know, and so I had a teaching and training guide because I would sit there going, well, now what do I do with this horse? So I created the Dressage Naturally, and it's kind of based on five key principles. And those are, one, that the basics of dressage are for the horse and should feel good to the horse. Principle number two is everything comes from and returns to relaxation. Principle three is mental, emotional, and physical development are, are, are all equal doorways to our goal. Um, the fourth is that precision arrives out of the possibility that play creates and the fifth one is that our dressage can only be as good as the partnership communication biomechanics and riding skills combined and so those kind of drive you know and there's many many more things to learn and write <laughs> right yeah that yeah. derives the decision making um those are the main principles that that kind of at the heart of it
0: So then what are, besides riding, you know, your horses, what are some of the things that you enjoy doing with them? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, well, besides riding, uh, I mean, I think. Well, I assume riding is one of the things that you enjoy doing with them. In addition to that.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and I think, you know, any moment with a horse when, when I feel like I'm really connected and in harmony with them is to me that's the the magic yeah so that you know there's nothing like i mean i said i love riding dressage but you know there's nothing like riding bareback and brideless and having Mm -hmm. that moment where you know you can and you trust it and there, you know you know you're gonna live you know (laughs) there's some (laughs) communication there um so i love that i love the liberty work but i also just love opening up my barn and I let my horses sort of wander in and out as they please it's all set up that way it's safe and um, it feels kind of like a you know a cocktail party as much (laughs) as anything else and I teach them a lot of little tricks they can do and and I love watching them want the attention and be able to hang out and be able to do my horse health and my grooming and things and and I rarely even have to put a halter on. It's like we just kind of are all hanging out together, and yeah. I just love that feeling of living with them. They think that what I'm doing is fun because they could leave if they wanted to. So when they all kind of come in, and I'm washing one horse in the wash stall, another one comes in and goes, "Hey, I kind of like a shower too," <laughs> and they go in the wash stall too. Now I'm giving, you know, showers to two little kids in the bathtub at the same time, <laughs> you know, and and just interacting with their personalities and um, and the process of setting up to get to that point where they they understand how to be like that. And I I feel like I'm part of the herd with them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So there are a lot of people who go through times with their horses that they are really they really start to struggle with their riding or with their relationship with their horse. So. I'm sure there's lots and lots of advice that you could give, but what's maybe just one, one good little piece of advice or one little nugget that you could help someone who's
3: struggling. Yeah. I mean, I can't relate to that at all. Because <laughs> all my time, my horses are just perfect. I totally get this. I mean, I think right. if, if we're not struggling, we're not trying, you know, it's, it's just, well, there's going to be challenges. Let's say I might, I might have more than just a nugget, if that's okay. Because we're the same <laughs> subject, But I think, you know, we're yeah. all going to come up with challenges. We're all going to have moments where things don't work, but it's, uh, we don't need to actually struggle. So that word I'm struggling with this. Well, don't struggle. Just don't just stop struggling. You can say, I'm having a challenge. I find this hard. This isn't working. And right there, you're going to start, um, having a solution just in, in framing it differently. I'm having a challenge with <laughs> fill in the blank, like get specific. Yeah. But the three main things are, one, to make sure you have strategies for releasing negative emotions. I mean, that has to be number one because there's the challenge and then there's the human thing that we do, which is <laughs> add <laughs> stack a bunch of negative garbage on top of that. And now it's gonna, you're further away from finding the solution. That's number one. Um, Number two, now that you've released your negative emotions, and you're in a place of being calm and present, you want to ask yourself an empowering question. And you know what, even if you're not being calm and present, train yourself to ask an empowering question. And an empowering question is not something like, why am I so bad at this? (laughs) Right? (laughs) That's the question that probably is going to pop in your mind. But something that's going to task your brain with finding a solution. So a favorite question of mine is just to ask my horse or I ask myself, how can I help you with this? And, you know, it seems weird to ask yourself that. But in doing that, you take yourself out of it a little bit and you get to right. be by yourself and you go, hey, hey, Karen, how can I help you with this? <laughs> right. Because now your brain is tasked to find an answer and it'll shift you into both curiosity and compassion all at once because now you're in a helpful mode. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is to focus on what you can do. So if nothing's working, that's not true, something's gonna work, dial it all the way back until you can find something that you can do and just make that nicer. Yeah. So like the fastest way to get an eight is to make, you know, make doing it for a six as easy and light as possible, right? To put in dressage terms. So whatever Mm -hmm. you're struggling with, dial it back. Until you find a version that you can do, no matter how far back you have to go,
1: and just (laughs) master
3: that. Those are those are three very good pieces of advice. (laughs) I've thought about that just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Just,
0: and I don't know. This is a slightly similar question, but you know, so many people, if they do compete or you know, or not even necessarily compete, but maybe just in riding, they get nervous about if they're going out on the trail or they're doing something different. They get very nervous before a competition and that sort of thing. So um, how can, how do you help your um, riders or students
3: uh, deal with their nerves? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and one of the things is to get, get really specific. Like what exactly are you nervous about? Yeah. You know, I had this one student that i I was coaching, and I told her, because I knew what she got nervous about, is like, don't look at the program. <laughs> just don't. <laughs> so then i I met her at the show, and I she's like, "I see, she's in the barn, and she's like furiously mucking her stall, like, poop is flying. <laughs> and like, you looked at the program, didn't you? And she's like, yes. And she's like, look at all the the judges she you know so, <laughs> so i looked at the program and started laughing i'm like did you really think that they're going to shut down the entire show and have seven judges judging you in your second level class and she's looking at me as like as like Patty, they they just listed the judges across the top of every page you know so you know, she was nervous because she misread the program and thought, oh, we can have seven judges for her. Oh, salary. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, get specific exactly what are you nervous about? And then you can usually then it's a small piece and you can get specific in solving it. But it, it in general, it comes down to preparation, you know, prepare and then trust your prepara- preparation, manage your expectations, set a clear expectation for your goal. This is my first show and I'm going to win champion. <laughs> Well, <laughs> well or, you know, maybe it's just like, hey, I hope I stay in the arena and don't, yep. pop, you know, yep. <laughs> and then focus, practice focusing on the task, task at hand. And no matter where you ride, it's all just dirt. So like, don't let your focus go to all the other stuff that we humans go and think about. Right. And, and then you can reframe like stress, you know, that feeling of your heart pounding and your Adrenaline running through the system. Like you can frame that as like, oh my God, I'm freaking out, or you could frame it as, wow, my body is really stepping up. I am yeah. ready to perform. So preparation, expectations, focus, and reframe. Yeah. do you figure out what specifically <laughs> you're <nervous> about.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? I think I would be nervous too if I thought that seven judges were judging me. I think that would be that would that would make me a little anxious.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, so Horses take a huge commitment, whether you have your own farm, or if you're a professional trainer or instructor, or even if you're just trying to afford your board every month. Mm -hmm. So I know that's kind of become a focus of yours a little bit in helping the professional, uh, the professionals kind of find some balance. So what sort of suggestions do you have for just generally for everyone to find balance and enjoy their horse life a little bit more.
3: Yeah, I love that you asked that question because <laughs> yeah, you know, I really want horses to have a happier life and I want students to have a happier life and enjoy their horses. And I realize that, you know, I got to help the professionals because, you know, the students are trying their best. And then this like cranky, burned out, you know, (laughs) trainer comes up and it's not because they're not a good trainer, but like they're exhausted. Right. So yeah, I mentor horse professionals now through a seminar and a mastermind and the struggle is real. So I'll give you a short answer and then I'll give you some more specifics. But the short answer for life in general is in any moment, make sure you're either loving it Or you're changing it Mm. and you know that seems real easy not yeah yeah that's easy to say (laughs) but you know if you're doing something love it and if you can't love it then change it and you just gotta do that now um i'll give you some hints of some more specific details about how to do that so number one remember why you're doing this presumably you started out because you love horses. And I love that one of your first questions was like, what do you love about dressage? You know, what do you love about horses? And remember, like, how lucky are you to be able to do this? Right? So a bad day with horses is still a pretty good day. So remember why, you know, why you're doing it. And then, especially for the instructors and professionals, but this applies to everyone is to know your value. So you want to be spending most of your time in situations, either where you're giving your unique value, the thing that you really love to do the most, and you're compensated for it. But also to know that you make sure that you're doing things that you value that are connected to your meaningful goals. So to just understand what you love to share and do the most and what makes you so passionate. And, you know, whether that and if you're part of your employment, that you're getting compensated for it. And if not, that it's just something that fuels you, that it's, it's important to you. And eliminate all the other stuff as much as possible. And that's really connected with the third thing, which is healthy boundaries around time. So you get to choose how you spend your time, period, always, period. And I know that in saying that, there's people out there going, I want to find the exception cuz here's something that I don't want to do but I have to. I can't choose not to. And I'm going to be bold and say you're still choosing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and some people are going to hate me, but that's okay. But just it is a choice. And yeah. the more you know that and practice practice do the easy stuff first, you know, but practice having healthier boundaries around time and you get to choose. And then the fourth thing is uh, to learn how to leverage and this is really hard but you've got to learn how to get efficient with your time learn how to get help which is not normal for horse people because we're strong no, no. Types. yeah exactly <laughs> right we can do it ourselves that's right <laughs> learn how to get help and as a professional learn how to give your amazing value to more than one person at a time And I know in in dressage, it was like Mm -hmm. group lessons don't work. Like, well, maybe, maybe not. But how else, you know, what can't, what could you do? People always go to the lesson, like, well, I can't teach group lessons to upper level writers. Maybe. But what is, what do they need that you are doing that you're repeating over and over again to every single person 20 (laughs) million times a day? Could some of that stuff be handled? Um, in a group. So those are the main focuses when I mentor professionals, it kind of is mostly around those categories. And then, you know, getting into the nitty gritty details of exactly how to do that.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, So then, what do you like to do outside of the horse world when you need a break from it all?
3: Yeah. Well, um, I'm happy to report that even though I was burned out at one point in my life, which is why I now mentor professional, I'm ready to quit horses. And that's not a nice feeling. Yeah. So I'm happy to report now that I don't really feel like I need a break from the horses because I've got my life organized. So it's, it's, it's just right. So what what I do, um, I think, you know, personal development and human behavior is a bit of a hobby of mine. <laughs> so I'm, I'm often reading or learning or doing some sort of online course around something like that. Um, but my husband and I really love to go see live music. Um, he's a musician and okay. I just love going to hear a good band. Uh, we love going for walks with the dogs and taking the canoe out on the rivers around here and um lately some artistic home projects, like we made a dining room table <laughs> <laughs> and I made some rock walls in my garden and things like that. So
0: create oh, creative go.
1: stuff.
3: Right. Yep. Yeah.
0: And the last question that I have for you is one that I like to ask everybody, just to get their perspective. And what is what do you feel makes a great horse person?
3: Yeah, that's a cool question. <laughs> I'm sure it must be interesting. You must get all kinds of answers for that. Yep. Um, yeah, I think a uh, a great horse person is a person who gives their individual horse what he or she needs to have a happy life and to be successful in their training. And for me, success means that the horse understands what's being asked and that they have the opportunity to willingly offer it in lightness. So it's not just about getting the horse to do stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's kind of a holistic that someone who's looking at the horse's whole life. And I think characteristics that I think work well towards achieving this um, would be someone who's a light-hearted person living in the present moment who has a blend of humbleness, calmness, confidence, and curiosity.
0: Well, that's an interesting combination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I tell you, I have enjoyed this conversation very much. I think I maybe even have picked up a a thing or two that I can ponder myself in my own little part of the world. So, um, Karen, I just want to
3: thank you for sharing so much with us today. Oh, you're very welcome. I, I love being able to, to talk with new people and hopefully it helps somebody. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the
0: Dressage Today podcast. If you've missed any episodes or to subscribe, go to Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Learn more and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com, or you can visit our subscription video site, ondemand.dressagetoday.com. Be sure to give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Happy riding and we'll see you at X. The Dressage Today podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network,
2: LLC.